Exodus chapter 5 and verse number 14 is where we're going to be this morning. And it's page 1233 in your old Schofield Reference Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And I want to encourage you to be back in service tonight. And uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. You know, we don't need less church during these days. We need more church. And so if you'll be here at 530 and then 505, we'll have prayer room. And that'll be wherever you attend Sunday school. So I hope you'll be here for that. And it's good to see those folks that follow the Lord and believers' baptism this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 is where we're going to be. And let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on the service now. Dear Lord, thank you for your love to us. God, thank you for the opportunity once again to be in your house. Lord, I think of other countries that aren't allowed that privilege, Lord. And there's persecution and they're not able to freely carry a Bible to church, and they're not able to just come and worship and sing songs in public like we can here, God. And thank you for that opportunity. Lord, I pray that we would make the most of that opportunity, God. I pray that we would seize the moment, Lord, that we would just take hold of it during this time, maybe during these uh, few 35 minutes that we have together. May we draw closer to you because of being here today. God, I pray for that one or two or maybe several that don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, God. I pray that today they might go out of here saying, I know that I know, and God will praise you. Thank you for all that you're going to do. I pray for heavy hearts that might be in here this morning, God, that your hand would be upon them. Lord, give them the, the, give them the grace that they need and the comfort that they might need, God, and just be with our preacher today is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to read. You know, as I think about the overwhelming emotion in the world today, I would probably say it would be characterized by one of uncertainty or maybe one with, or one with a lack of confidence. I would say maybe there's all kinds of uncertainty about the economy. There's all kinds of uncertainty about politics. There's all kinds of uncertainty about terrorism. There's all kinds of uncertainty about the future and what it might hold. There's all kinds of uncertainty about jobs and maybe uh, the socialism creeping into our country. There's all kinds of uncertainty about the direction our country is headed. There's all kinds of uh, uncertainty going on. But you know, even as uncertainty fills the air, it permeates the air, God's people can live their lives with confidence based upon the Word of God. God's people can live with certainty. We can live with confidence based on the Word of God. You know, the Apostle Paul, you might say, well, Brother Mark, we live in a horrible day. We live in a discouraging day. We live in just a day that turns their back on God. Well, I would propose to you today that the Apostle Paul lived in a difficult day. You see, the early church had some very interesting times. There was persecution among the church, and there was so much that they were facing. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Let's look at verse number 1, and we'll jump down to our text here in a minute. But the Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house, that means our body, of this tabernacle were dissolved. We have a building of God, a house not made with hand, eternal in the heavens. Aren't you glad today that no matter what's going on, you know, if everything on this earth were dissolved, and one day it will be dissolved, 
I've got a home in heaven waiting for me. No matter what happens this side of heaven, no matter what trials come my way, I've got a home in heaven. And because of that, we can live with certainty. We can live our life with confidence. If you're saved, aren't you glad that you can say that too? Hey, I can live with certainty. I can live with confidence. Jump down to verse number six through eight. It says, therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So Paul said, hey, if I'm present in the body, I'm absent from the Lord. Then he says, we, for we walk by faith. Hey, in the Christian life, we walk by faith, not by sight. Then it says, we are confident. Boy, I like that word confident. Look back at verse number six. It says that same word. Therefore, we are always confident. Verse number eight. Wherefore, uh, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So the Apostle Paul, he says, hey, if I'm absent from the body, I'm now present with the Lord. He had that certainty. He had that confidence that says, I'm going to be present with the Lord. Boy, what a great feeling that is to know, hey, a lot of things I can't feel confident about. I might not feel confident about the economy. I, not, I might not feel confident about my job. I might not feel confident about maybe a relationship that's going on, or I might not feel confident about the ability of, of me and my flesh to do good for the Lord. But hey, we can be confident that heaven is our home. We can rest assured that one day we'll be with the Lord and that heaven is prepared for those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, Paul lived his life with confidence. He lived his life with certainty. You know, there's nothing like the confidence and the stability of a spiritual man who knows he's on his way to heaven. Have you ever got around a dear saint of God and you just felt that they were just confident that everything was going to work out okay and everything was going to be good and there might be all kinds of turmoil swirling around maybe their family or maybe with their health but they just had that confidence that hey everything is going to be all right. Uh, God's in control. He's the sovereign God. You know today we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul's life and his testimony concerning his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the confidence that it brought. We're going to look at three different things. Number one, we're going to look at how to have certainty through salvation. Number one, we can look at the miracle of salvation. We have the miracle of salvation. If we look at verse number 14, it says, let me just read 14 through 21 just as a way of springboard. The Bible says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're, then we're all dead, and then he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 
to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. In verse number 21, for he hath made him meaning Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, because the world, look at verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You know, because the world which was guilty, we, they can be declared innocent in Jesus Christ. Salvation is a miracle. Notice the word that if one died for all. Who's that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for all. Spiritually, the Bible says that we are all dead by a man named Adam. If you think back to the book of Genesis, the Bible says in Romans 5 and verse number 12, this is speaking about what happened in Genesis. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. That's Adam. He committed the first sin. In death, by sin. Now that death wasn't necessarily physical death, although that was a part of it. Death, that's spiritual death. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It is said theologically that Adam was the, the federal head of mankind. He was kind of the, the, the forerunner of it all. He's the one that's paved the way for us all, that we are all sinners. You know, when Adam died, when Adam sinned, he died spiritually. He was separated from God. You know, death spiritually is passed upon all of us. You and I are born sinners. You know, have you ever noticed that you don't have to teach a little two-year-old how to sin? It's just in their nature. I mean, you don't have to sit down with little Johnny and say, now Johnny or Susie, I want you to just be a holy terror in the nursery. I want you to just go lie all you can. And when I ask you about the cookie in the cookie jar, I want you to just lie about it. Do we have to teach our little kids that? No, not at all. I guarantee you, probably, if you were to go over to our nurseries today, those newly nice and shiny, newly renovated nurseries, you go over to them, I guarantee you, you'll probably find some pinching. You'll probably find some biting. You'll probably find some fighting and arguing. Why? Because they're sinners. It's in their nature. You say, well, not at Woodland Baptist Church. Of course, just like any other church, just like any other place outside of church, it's because we are all born as sinners. By one man, sin entered into the world. Adam, he's the federal head of man, and he brought sin into the world. Look at Genesis 2 and verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. So God says, hey, you can take all the fruit that you want, but of this one particular tree, I don't want you to take the fruit of that. And well, you know the story about how Adam, Eve took, Eve gave to Adam, and boom, you have the first sin. It says, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Spiritual separation from God. You know, he was speaking of the spiritual death that would take place in his life. Salvation is a miracle in that Jesus Christ came as the second Adam. He came as man, but came as the second Adam. Just like Adam brought sin into the world, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross that he might bring life and life everlasting. There, there's the one, he's the one man that died upon an old rugged cross. There he brought salvation for you 
and for me. Aren't you glad that he gives us his salvation? All we have to do is receive it. All we have to do is accept it. The miracle is that as one man brought death, one man, the man Christ Jesus, brings eternal life. Salvation is a miracle. Jesus Christ paid the price. There was a story a long time that happened a long time ago, and I read about it over the last couple of weeks, and it's a true story. But it happened somewhere in the south. I'm not sure where exactly what state it happened in. But there was a plantation owner, and, and he owned a great amount of property. He was a very wealthy man. He had, very, he had many barns and buildings and houses. And the owner had a very difficult life. The, his wife passed away just a few years into marriage after having one child, their only child. So the wife passes away. And then just a few years after that, their only child passes away. So you can imagine all the hard heartache that this particular plantation owner went through. And the time came when the plantation owner died. And because he had so much wealth and everything, he, he was smart enough to put together a will. And he put together that will and everything. And the time came that there was an estate sale. You know how they do. Like mostly, mostly the auctioneers will come and they'll auction off all kinds of stuff. They'll put together the sale. And so the signs were posted well in advance in the, the, uh, the days leading to the auction. Uh, the, the, the large crowd came and the, the sign was posted in advance so the time came there was a large crowd that came to this sale and they were very the crowd was very interested to see what was going to be at this estate sale and there was some at antique furniture there was some farm equipment and all kinds of different things that was there and so they decided to come and as the people gathered the auctioneer got together the crowd and he began to give the ground rules and he said this is how the auction is going to work he gave the process on how to bid on items if you would like an item the people began to browse around they used to, they they began to meander around the different equipment and go outside and they'd go inside the house and they'd look at all of it and so the people were got got interested in some of the items so strangely enough the first item the auction near lifted up happened to be a picture of the plantation owner's only son now most of us probably wouldn't want to buy a picture of the plantation owner's only son most of us probably wouldn't know who that was. Why would we be interested in this picture of this, the, uh, the plantation owner's only son? You know, maybe some of us might be interested if it was a picture of George Washington or if it was a picture of Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln or somebody like that. We might be interested if that was a, an original oil painting or something like that. But the crowd here, they had the very same reaction. They weren't that interested in the picture. They weren't really just, just vying to try to get it. The crowd waited, and they were kind of anxious for the auctioneer to move on. They thought, well, let them just get through this picture, and we'll move on with the rest of the stuff. Well, the auctioneer explained that this picture had to be sold, and it was in the will for this picture to be sold first. It had to be sold. The people just stood there, and they were waiting. No one was really excited in this, uh, in this picture. And after a little while, there was an elderly black man in the back of the crowd and he happened to to look forward and he looked way down and he happened to see a, this picture and all of a sudden he remembered years and years ago that he was a servant there on this plantation and in the, the 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 good memories began to flood his soul and he began to think about the time when he worked there and he began to think about the the time that he spent with this plantation owner and doing different tasks and different things like that he remembered in his mind's eye he he began to think about the time when he was actually able to go free and, and to do to to go free and but he, you know what happened this plantation owner's 
servant actually loved working for this owner so much that he left for just a brief time and he ended up coming back and continuing to work for this owner. And there was that special relationship there. And you know, after he was released, he didn't have to work there anymore, but he chose to. He loved that family. He, 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 had, he loved them. And as he started looking at that picture, all those memories came through his mind. He began to think about the time when he got word that the plantation owner's only son had passed away. And boy, he was so grieved for the family. He remembered seeing the sorrow that came into the family. And he remembered uh, seeing all that that happened. So the auctioneer began to say, who will give any money for this picture and the rest of the crowd they weren't interested and suddenly the elderly black man stepped forward and he said I'll give a dollar for that picture that's all he had you see but he was interested in that picture and what it was a what it resembled the auctioneer wanting to move forward with the rest of the auction he said okay fine sold to this man for one dollar and the auctioneer said okay before we move on there is one thing that I must must do according to the will and so the crowd obviously got curious. and They wanted to find out what it was. The auctioneer began to tell the people. He said, now inside this will says there's an envelope on the back of the picture. And so the auctioneer pulled out the envelope and he read it. And here's what the, what the plantation owner had simply written these words in, the, in that envelope. All, this is all it said. It said, to the person that buys the picture of my son, I give my entire plantation. With this reading, the entire auction came to an abrupt end, stopped right there. And you know what? The man who took the son got everything. You know, and that is what God the Father says to you and to me. He says, hey, if you'll take my son, you'll get everything. If you'll take my son, you'll get a home in heaven. You'll get eternity. You'll get eternal life. You'll have peace. You'll have comfort. And God says, hey, take my son. You'll get everything. And that is the miracle of salvation. A guilty world, we can be forgiven because of one man and his death on the cross. A guilty world can be forgiven, but a guilty world can also be reconciled. Look at verse number 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. You know, now we don't use the word reconciliation a lot in our terminology today. Most times when you hear the word reconciled, you'll hear about maybe a couple where they decided to reconcile their differences. Uh, reconcile just simply means to call back into union and friendship with, with the affections which have been alienated. So when you're reconciled to someone, there's a, a divide. They're, they're not together. There's alienation. There's estrangement. And when you are reconciled, you are put back together with that person. I'm not sure if this has ever happened to you before. It's happened to me. Maybe where you do somebody wrong and you, you want to make things right. And so maybe if I did Brother Brian wrong, I'd go to Brother Brian and say, Brother Brian, I did you wrong. I want to make things right. And Brother Brian would extend forgiveness to me, hopefully, and he'd say, uh, you know, Mark, I forgive you. I forgive what you did. And so there's forgiveness, but then there's reconciliation. Have you ever gone to somebody, and let's say I went to Brother Brian, he forgave me, but then maybe Brother Brian and I, we used to do things together. We used to spend time together. And we used to do this or do that. And then all of a sudden, I, I did this trespass against him. He forgave me, 
but then things are never really the same between us. There's a little bit of a, a rift, you could say, between us. You know, I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus Christ is not like that. When we get forgiven of God, he says, hey, I don't remember your sins anymore. Your sins are removed as far as the east is from west. You know, sometimes in marriage, we want to bring up the past. God doesn't do that. God says, hey, you're forgiven, and now you're reconciled. That's how God is. God says, hey, I'm going to forgive you, but I also want to be reconciled to you. He doesn't want to just forgive you and then desire to keep you away. He doesn't want to just keep you at arm length. But he says, hey, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. Verse 18 says that we are reconciled. It says, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. God has reconciled us to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. Reconciliation involves a lot more than just forgiveness of sins. It involves a drawing nigh in a new life. It is the death, burial, and resurrection that reconciles the world to God. Now a side note, God does not reconcile to us. We are reconciled to God. You know why? God never left. God's always been right there waiting for us. But because sin has come into our life, because sin has passed upon us, we are sinners. When we sin, we move away from God. We're away from God. But God says, hey, I'm right here. I want to reconcile you. Through Christ, we can be reconciled back to God. Boy, what a good thought. We can be reconciled. We can be just like we've never sinned. We can be justified just as if I had never sinned. Look at what it says in Colossians 1 and verse number 20. It says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you that were sometimes alienated. We're away from God and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled, verse number 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Hey, that's what God does for us. He says, hey, you were alienated. You were estranged from me, but you came to me. And hey, now you're, 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 you're not even, you're not guilty. You're holy. You're unblameable. You're unreprovable in the sight of God. We're forgiven. We can be reconciled. You say, well, Brother Mark, how does that happen? How do we get forgiven? How do we get reconciled? It's all through Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 21. It says, for he, meaning God, made him, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, the, the, the same Lord Jesus Christ who never lied, he never stole, he, he never had a wicked thought. 33 and, a year, 33 and a half years, he never committed one sin. We're not righteous today in our own merit. We don't deserve to go to heaven. Anyone that says they're going to heaven because they're a Baptist or because they're a Methodist or because they've been baptized or because they give money to the church, they don't understand the Bible. We are only made righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ. He became sin for us. Aren't you glad he became sin for us? He became sin for you. He became our sin 
offering. He felt the pain. He felt the agony. He felt the shame of sin. All of that sin was laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he do that for us? Because of your sin and because of my sin. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse number 3. It says, He, meaning Jesus Christ, is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse number five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Look at verse number six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. God put all that sin on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he went to Calvary for us. Don't ever get over God's grace. It's the miracle of salvation. You might say, well, I've got religion. No, it's much more than that. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. It's the essence of life. For all of eternity, you'll thank God you made that decision. How do we have certainty through salvation? Because of the miracle of salvation. Number two, the manifestation of salvation. The manifestation of salvation. Manifestation is simply defined an object that clearly shows or embodies something. The manifestation of someone who has salvation or eternal life is that they are a new creature. They are a new spiritual creation. Look at verse number 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The, the, the phrase new creature, that's a reference to the new man that takes up residence in the life of someone who has been saved. The Bible says, hey, when you receive the Son, like I said, you get it all. You get the Father, you get the Son, and you get the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Son, you get the Holy Spirit. And you're a whole new creation. You're a creation that's come out of your life because of Jesus Christ. Not only are you forgiven, not only are you reconciled, but now you're a new creation. The fact of the matter that despite the power of positive thinking, despite the power of self-help books and all this, in my flesh there is nothing good outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is I had nothing good to offer God. Look at Isaiah 64 and verse number 6. It says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness. It doesn't say all of our wickednesses are as filthy rags. It says even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. You know, the Bible teaches us that when we get saved, something good comes out of our life. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're a new creation. We're a new man. Now, there's something about this new creature, this new creation. We should have new desires. The new man should have new desires. He should desire to serve God. He should desire to get to church. Now, I understand some of you, and maybe sometimes even myself included, sometimes we don't want to go to church. Maybe sometimes we would rather that extra sleep. 
Maybe sometimes we would rather stay cozied up at home. That's the flesh. That's the old man. But you know what the new man says? The new man says, hey, I want to get to church. I want to be around other Christians. I want to be around the singing. I want to be around the preaching of the Word of God. I want to be around the choir. I want to see people get baptized. I want to see people get saved. The new man says, hey, I want to get to church. Why? Because we've got new desires. We've got a new one living inside of us. The new creation, that new person in us, it has no allegiance to sin. The flesh, they've got allegiance to sin. It wants to do wrong all the time. And so we fight that battle. Manifestation of salvation. What's the manifestation of salvation? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We've got eternal salvation. We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Let me ask you this morning, is there an urging in your soul to serve God and to know more about him in a greater way? Is there that urge when our pastor gets up and he, he says, hey, we need volunteers for this, or we're going to go out door knocking, or we're going to go on visitation, or we're going to serve the Lord in this capacity. Is there an urging to say, oh, I, I want to help out. I want to do what I can. I want to be around the things of God. That's the manifestation of salvation. It's that, that Holy Spirit inside of you that's wanting to do more through you than you can ever imagine. You know, it's so exciting to see a new Christian get saved. They come forward and they get saved, and boy, they're on fire for the Lord. They, they, they sign up for discipleship class, and they're in, in class with Brother Vic, and Brother Vic's teaching them the basics of the Christian life, and they're so hungry for it, and it's so exciting to see. But you know, after if we're not careful, that can fade away. But what brings that transformation initially? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It says we're a new creature. Look at Galatians 5, verse number 17. Galatians 5, verse 17, it says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. You know, there's a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh wants to do what it wants to do, and the spirit wants to do right. There's a battle. We all face it. You face it. I face it. If you're saved, the new man says, do what's right. Serve God. Live for God. Live, love God the way that you, say, that you should. Uh, the old flesh might say from time to time, yeah, just quit, church. Give up on the Lord. Don't quit giving your money to God. We need to be reminded that that old flesh, it was crucified on Calvary. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit and live a victorious Christian life. So we have the miracle of salvation. We have the manifestation of salvation. Number three, and in closing, we have the ministry of the saved. We have the ministry of the saved. Look at verse number 18. It says, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So because we've been forgiven, because we've been reconciled, look at verse 18, that latter part, and have given to us, that's those who are saved, that's for you, that's for me, the ministry of reconciliation. God says, hey, now that you're a new creation, I've got something for you to do. That something is to reconcile others to Christ. You know, every once in a while you hear a young person or a young adult say, boy, I've been called, God has called me into full-time Christian service. And you know what? We ought to be excited. We ought to not say, oh boy, that's a step down. You ought not do that or, or discourage them. We ought to be excited for them. But you know what? The truth of the matter is we are all in full-time Christian ministry. We are all 
full-time Christian service. God says he has given to all of us the ministry of reconciliation. This wasn't just written to a select few at the church at Corinth. It was written to the whole church. All of us are to be a minister. God says, now that you've been reconciled, you were once alienated. Now that you've been reconciled, now that you've been saved, now that you've been born again, we are to seek others that they might be reconciled. You know, I'm so concerned for this country. I'm so concerned uh, about you know, where we're heading. But what's the answer? Is the answer to go to Washington and protest? Is the answer in the White House? Is it in the Supreme Court? Is it in the legislators? Is it, what's going to help? You know, the one thing that will help more than anything else is when you and I accept this ministry of reconciliation and we go out and we tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. When we take it to the streets that says, Jesus saves. It doesn't matter if they're Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if they're blue or, or red in color. It doesn't matter if they're red, yellow, black, and white. We've got to take to the streets and say, Jesus saved. Why? Because we've been reconciled. Let's take that ministry. Let's, let's understand that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let men be changed from the inside out. Now, you might say here to this morning, you might say, well, Brother Mark, you know, now wait a minute. I'm glad to have some religion. I'm glad to come and warm this church seat, but now you're telling me that I'm in the ministry? That's too much. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. I don't write it. I just recite it. God says, hey, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. You might say, well, what am I going to say? I'm no preacher. I can't say anything. God says he gives us not just the ministry of reconciliation, but look at verse number 18 and 19. It says, verse number 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trans trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We've got the ministry, but now God's also given us the word. That's why we as Christians, we should be in the word of God. We should read it. We should study it. We should uh, attend God's house and learn as much as we can. You know, there might come a time when a coworker comes to you and asks a question about the word of God or about the Bible or about the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you going to be ready to give an answer? Are you going to be ready to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ? In that very moment, you are God's representative. In that very moment, no one else can tell them about Christ except you. Will you have the knowledge? Will you have the ability? We are ambassadors for reconciliation. Look at verse number 20. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are a representative as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you. Paul's saying, hey, I pray you in Christ's stead or in Christ's place, be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul assumes that you're saved. Now that you're saved, you have a job to do. You're an ambassador. What's the definition of an ambassador? It's a minister of the highest rank assigned to a foreign country. You know, we are to represent God as ministers in a foreign country. Well, you say, Brother Mark, you don't understand. I'm a contractor. I'm a mechanic. 
I heard Brother Ken say amen a little bit ago. I'm a tree, uh, I'm an arborist. I cut down trees and do all that. Or I'm an IT person. I'm a beautician. I'm a nurse. Or I'm a whatever. You fill in the blank. We need to understand something today. That God says you are sent as an ambassador to a foreign country to represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That makes life worth living right there. When we understand that we are an ambassador. That puts a whole new perspective on life. You might say, what's my reason for living? What's my purpose? I'm not a, I'm not a choir director. I'm not a song leader. Uh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an assistant pastor. I'm not a missionary. What's my purpose? Each and every one of us from my left all the way to my right, we are an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take the good news. We are an ambassador in a foreign country. The song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You and I have been assigned to a foreign country, this country down here, by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to share the word of reconciliation with other people who need to hear the gospel. Just by way of closing, I want to use this illustration. Let's, let's take for a moment that I'm, I represent the U.S. government. Zach is a, an ambassador of the U.S. government. And he's over here. He's in the U.S. And he's getting his education. He's getting trained. And over here, the piano area represents uh, maybe a foreign country, maybe Ecuador or Lebanon or wherever. Uh, and so I come to Zach as the U.S. government. I say, Zach, I want you to be our ambassador. I want you to represent our country. And so, Zach, if you'll get up, Zach is our ambassador. He comes over here. He comes to Ecuador or Lebanon, and he, he begins to make relationships with that country. And so he is our representative over in Ecuador. But here's what happens sometimes, is the U.S. government will call upon our ambassador, and he says, hey, hey, Zach, I want you to, to go back to the United States. Go back to your seat, and I want you to go back to the United States. You know what that usually means? That's usually not a good sign for this country. You know what that means? Usually that there was a relationship there. This, our country wanted to have a relationship with that country, but now things have gone wrong. And so we pull our ambassador away. We pull our embassy away. And all of a sudden, there's, what that usually means is there's judgment coming. Maybe there's a war pending or something like that. And so there's that judgment. But you know what? That's normally not a good sign. And I want to make the application. You know, one of these days, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to call our ambassadors. We're the ambassador. He's going to call us home. He's going to pull us out of this foreign country and pull us on out. And what's going to happen? There's going to be judgment that's going to come to this world. There's going to be uh, hellfire and damnation fall upon the earth, and the earth will be burned up and all that. And we're going to be called up on out of here. We're going to be raptured on out of here. God's going to take us ambassadors out of here. I don't want to make the application. We've only got just a few days We've only got just a few weeks. We only have maybe just a few months or a few years. Let's be about the Father's business. We'll be called out. We need to be ambassadors. Not only are we ministers of reconciliation, we have the word of reconciliation, but we are ambassadors here today. Are you here today and you've never experienced this miracle of salvation outside of the Lord Jesus Christ? You have no hope to get to heaven. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That, that, that causes separation between us and God. God sent his son to die for us that we might have eternal life. Why not receive the son? Hey, when you receive the son, 
you get it all. You get every single thing that the Father has. We become his adopted son. We get it all. Not only does God want to forgive us, not only does he want to reconcile us, but he wants to make us ambassadors. Let's be ambassadors about the Father's business. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Let's